Hello and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today the spotlight is on the Doing More with Less panel presented by Prism.fm. Back in my corporate days, doing more with less was the ham-fisted mantra companies used during budget season to explain to employees how they were going to grow their businesses by double digits with no additional resources. In the COVID era, doing more with less is one of the only ways for companies to survive. And on September 2nd, music venue technology provider Prison.fm hosted a panel to discuss how the live music community is doing just that through the support of new technology platforms. Hosted by Prism's Juan Torres, the panel included Mallory Farrow, general manager of the historic Antones Nightclub in Austin, Texas, and Megan Lazaroff from Disco Donnie Presents. The technologists were represented by Prism CEO Matt Ford, Greg Patterson from live streaming platform Veeps, and me in my role as Chief Revenue Officer at Light. I am pleased to share the audio recording of Doing More With Less, How the Live Music Community is Being Supported by Tech, here with you today. Just a, a quick thank you to, to everyone who's uh, watching, interacting um, on the webinar. So my name is Juan, I'm the VP of Operations at Prism, uh, but really this is gonna be a conversation with uh, the other five folks that are on the screen here. Um, and I'm gonna let them introduce themselves um, in a second. But um, you know, Prism is a, a talent buying venue management software. Um, and one of the things I want to make sure everyone is aware of is sort of the, the work that not just us on this call, but everyone's doing, uh, one, calling attention to Neva. So if you haven't already visited saveourstages.com, um, head over. If you're a venue or a promoter, you can get involved. Uh, and if you're just in the industry or want to help the industry out, uh, there's a way for you to write your local representatives. Um, Neva's uh, an association of you know, almost 3,000 venues and promoters at this point uh, that are trying to make sure that that industry survives. Um, and then there's another group that we've been working closely with, which is the Independent Promoter Alliance, uh, which is a group of talent buyers and promoters who have sort of banded together since, you know, COVID came about to, to help with uh, long-term needs and sustainability of promoters and talent buyers. Uh, you can find out more about them at indiepromoter.org. Um, not sponsors, just two groups that uh, we care heavily about and, you know, Prism is supporting to make sure that we all make it through the other side of this thing together. Um, so uh, without further ado, going to just go through a, a quick round of intros of who all's on the, uh, the webinar, and then we can kick into the, the conversation of, you know, life since mid-March and uh, what Megan and Mallory are doing and what some of the companies represented here are doing to help promoters and talent buyers. So uh, we can start with Mallory if you want to kick it off. Sure thing. Hey all, I'm Mallory Farrow. Um, I am the GM of Antones in the heart of Austin, Texas. Um, and yeah, I've been with the company about four years now, a little over and just sticking with it to see how things play out. All right, awesome. Uh, Megan. 
Hi, my name is Megan. I am a talent. I'm on the talent buying team for Disco Donnie Presents. Um, I've been with the company for about four years now. Um, I uh, kind of do anything that is really needed. Um, and again, we are sticking through this COVID, and we're working through it. Uh, and then we've got Greg from Veeps. Hey, uh, my name is Greg Patterson. I am at Veeps. Um, I know a lot of y'all from the last four years at Eventbrite. Um, so I spent four years at Eventbrite. Prior to that, I started a company called Q, um, which was acquired by Eventbrite, and then a couple other companies along the way. Um, but yeah, just we're out here trying to see how we can help folks during this time. Awesome. And then Lawrence from Light. Hi, I am LP from Light. Um, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer, which means um, my team and I handle everything that sort of deal and business development and corporate development related. So revenue partnerships, biz dev. Um, I'm also um, an independent archivist and producer currently managing a multi-year reissue series um, on behalf of Keith Richard. So I've been busy during COVID. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, curious to hear about what, uh, what y'all are doing too. And then Matt Ford, CEO, co-founder of PRISM. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Juan, for saving me to have to say those things. Um, but yeah, I spend most of my time at Prism working on the technology and, uh, you know, talking to our partners. And I just want to say it's been extremely inspiring to see the resilience of, um, you know, these the small business owners that comprise our most of this industry, but, you know, especially our partners. And um, it's been invigorating myself and the team to continue helping where we can and uh, looking to, you know, help create a better future for, for everyone on the other side of this and, and, and get things, get things back to normal when it makes sense, but also, you know, go past that and help, help the music industry see a, a moment of, of thriving beyond anything we've seen in the past. Yeah. Um, well, uh, let's see if we can, yeah. So one of the things, uh, really we wanted to, to jump into is sort of, uh, starting with you, Mallory, uh, with Antones here in Austin, uh, when this all went down with COVID, uh, you guys were getting ready for South by and things sort of changed rapidly. Maybe if you can give everyone a, a quick walkthrough of what that was like, what the days were like sort of in that transition for you yeah so we you know south by maybe some of you don't know but south by is kind of like a six-month planning process so you know you start in like the fall year prior it comes every march it's um a beast of its own and you just kind of take things as they come whenever it arrives and you do as much planning as you can and hope it goes well um and you're working from clients all over the world it's one of the most fun, exciting, challenging things that we do. Um, so um, this year was definitely different moving in. We um, started to see sort of like a lot of our clients backing up from their original trajectory of how they wanted their events to go, like multi-day um, events scaled back to two to one to, you know, just a nighttime um, showcase versus, you know, this huge activation. Um, so we started kind of seeing that mid-January, early February. And then from there, as Corona kind of started spreading, 
um, a lot of those companies started uh, receiving travel travel restrictions. So they were like, okay, well, you know, we can't send anybody, so we have to cancel. Um, And that was end of February, early March. Um, And then I believe it was March 6th that South by announced that they were canceling the um, event altogether, um, which was a huge blow (laughs) um, to say the least. Uh, And then from there it was like, okay, you know, all of Austin is so supported by South by all of the people that come in the tourism, especially these large tech companies that come in. Um, South by is our savior for the most part, you know, venues are not like a huge money-making thing. So, uh, so South by is always what kind of floats us on year to year. Um, So we all kind of started to freak out a little, but then, say like, hey, how can we bring this back together and make sure that we don't all suffer um, from this lack of event, lack of money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we, were, we kind of banded together with the Red River District here in Austin. Um, and we were gonna do um, an event called, oh gosh, now I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> um, like the show will go on or, or we're, oh, we're in this together. Um, yes, yeah. And we were like, okay, like, we're going to get all these homegrown showcases. It's going to be like South by used to be before tech became such a big thing. We were all getting really geared up for that. Um, and then on the 13th of March, which was supposed to be like starting date of South by um, for tech, we, um, I was in the venue. We had um, clients and um, different promoters coming in and um, like alcohol people coming in and setting up their stuff and like midday I think it was probably around two o'clock like I just kind of looked at everybody and I was like getting phone calls and emails and texts and all this communication and I was like well we're not going to be doing this because now everything's closed in the city (laughs) like all the bars were shutting down Um, I don't even remember what the mandates were from like the state or city specifically but it happened so very quickly like it was, I mean, it was in the middle of production, basically. And then it was like, no, nope, we're done. Um, so that was just really shocking. Uh, I still don't know if I fully processed that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so from there, it was just, um, okay, like, how do we, you know, what do we do from here? How do we make the best of it? And, and you know, how do we move forward? Which has been a day-to-day thing from here since then. Um, so yeah. It's been, we went from zero to 100 and then like, you know, through our, through the beginning of the year. And then it was like, all right, really, really screeching halt, um, which yeah. is so strange as many of us know, like to just be doing nothing. Um, so yeah, from there, it was like more of just, okay, like, what do I do as far as my staff? What do I do as far as the building goes? You know, how do we um, make sure that our building is intact and stays safe? Like as all of downtown started to just become like ghost land, zombie world, um, and, you know, moving through the sticky stuff like unemployment and making sure that our staff is taken care of that way. And then just, yeah, trying to find a way to sort of get everybody into like hunker down mode, um, which was something that none of us have ever done before. It's yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Cause I know <laughs> being in Austin, you guys went, uh, you had the banding together group and, you know, there was going to be these local showcases that were going to happen since people weren't traveling in. Yeah. to nothing mm-hmm. uh and you know trying to to get oh what's uh hold on a second here. oh yeah oh yeah that's asking. what it's called we can uh, do that, yeah. Thank, yeah. You, Matt. I that. <laughs> thank you for that i'm like I <laughs> yeah that's what it was yeah um but yeah so cool <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I mean, those are, and the sad thing is one of those venues is no yeah. longer in operation yeah, there. So Barracuda is no longer since, uh, yeah. Mallory, what was it like for, or Megan, what was it like for your group being that, you know, Disco Donnie's got events all over the country? Uh, I mean, a lot of it was the same for us. Like we, we definitely had a few shows that, you know, COVID was like really starting to happen and people were starting to take notice to where, we had a few events right before the actual shutdown really, really happened. Um, but those ticket sales changed. You know, we were only getting maybe 50% of the projected capacity that, that we were expecting to get for that show. You know, we'd have larger artists and, you know, only 50% of the people show up. And then literally maybe a day or two days later, our whole inbox is canceled, 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 postponed, like, everyone was literally canceling every single club show that we had. And it was just crazy to actually go through and see all of these shows really just crossed off the list until further notice. And it's, it's like another thing really canceling a show completely, but then, you know, you postpone it to another date in hopes that, you know, you can do the show in three months, that the show is going to be able to happen, that it's going to be over. But, you know, now we're postponing those again and again and to where we're just canceling them completely. And then, you know, the club shows canceled first because they were one-offs. You know, it's just a few shows that an artist was doing. And then it was really major tours. And major tours were canceling their whole tours to TBD. So now we have, you know, all these artists that want to do shows in those rooms and we have no idea when we're actually going to be able to do that. Yeah, that's uh, kind of interesting, too. And I know when we talked sort of prepping for this, you mentioned the the team uses Prism and, and that you guys have been moving things around that way. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, whenever you guys put in, whenever you guys put in the calendar part where you could just take one show and move it to a different date rather than having to, you know, unconfirm the show or redo the offer um, and, you know, change it to a completely different date where I could just literally move it from, you know, March of this date to September, whatever. Like, it helps our team so much, especially because, you know, sometimes we have 25, 30 shows a weekend. So whenever all those are canceling at once, it was such a good tool for us to just be able to, you know, move that very easily. Yeah. And I, I guess we can sort of segue into the the tech partners that are here a little bit because, you know, I know I'll let Matt speak to this, but I, I remember uh, being in Austin, sort of to, to Mallory's point, uh, we were going to do this big thing with banding together and, and the local partners. And then all of a sudden, I think it was on a Monday that we were just like, well, I guess South by was supposed to kick off, but we should work from home. And then it was Tuesday that things were canceled. But that Monday, uh, Matt really sort of got the team together and um, Prism made a, a few commitments of one of which is what uh, what Megan's speaking to there. But Matt, maybe you can share some of the, the things Prism has done sort of since uh, mid-March and, and COVID started. Yeah, uh, for sure. The Just talking, of, hearing back about South by Southwest, like almost kind of released trauma in my body, uh, <laughs> thinking about that week. And South by really was kind of the shot heard around the world, you know, for the music industry to see it all cancel. And I think... You know, Ultra had canceled that week and then Live Nation pulled their tours and, you know, it, it immediately became reality, almost immediately. It didn't seem like in the moment, but, 
you know, in a week span that like things were going to, things were going to change. And um, I'll, I'll give Greg a shout out here on this call. Greg and I were having a conversation in December about like what to do in times of crises, which we both face in our own careers. And I uh, came to this conclusion that it's about like having a North star um, and that we can, you know, pursue. And what we, what we realized is our, our mission all along has been to help promoters and venues do more with less. And, um, you know, I was a promoter myself, so, you know, it's, it's a million tasks, small tasks, and just to organize one small show. And in reality, we need to organize much more than one small show to work, which is the whole foundation of PRISM. Um, so we just decided the best thing that we could do is double down and continue on our mission of helping, you know, small business owners do more with less and, and become empowered. Um, but, you know, we also had to come to reality about what, what this new industry was. So we've, we've adapted quite a bit to the moment. So yeah, Megan touched on the changes we made to help people move shows around. Um, another thing that we've done is given our customers better access to their own data and, and help them analyze, you know, what shows are profitable. We're, we're releasing this feature that uh, instantly groups all of your shows by genre. So you can run financial reports uh, based off of your, your most profitable genres and understand what partners you should be working with. And, you know, a lot of our clients have free time now to analyze their data and figure out how they're going to, how they're going to best bounce back on the other side of the pandemic. And that's what a lot of our, our tool is about. And um, we also launched this great thing with, with Antones and, and Mallory's team that makes the scheduling process just a whole lot more easier and streamlined. So we're all, you know, very excited about that. Essentially it gives agents and promoters and venues the ability to coordinate holds without having to send a bunch of emails. And uh, I was on a call with Zach today and he said he, he gets more time with his kids because of it, which is, you know, just makes me feel good. But anyway, outside of like the stuff that we've done, <laughs> um, uh, indirectly Juan touched on it, you know, we've, we've supported the, the organizations who are doing the real work, you know, Niva got a bill in front of Congress and it looks like there's, you know, God willing, a strong chance that it's going to get, you know, passed. And, you know, that's really amazing. And I told Moose this on a call that, you know, by, by Niva doing what Niva's doing, we can, we can still focus on making PRISM better. And if, if Niva wasn't around, you know, we would have to go and do that work of like, you know, putting all of our efforts towards lobbying, lobbying Congress. So really proud to have help Niva. One of our team members went and started Niva. Uh, multiple people on our, on our, and we support him to do that. And multiple people on our team are helping at Niva. And IPA is another great org that we also helped with as well. And um, I think IPA and Niva forming are one silver lining of the pandemic hitting. Um, you know, promoters and venues weren't always inclined to work together, but just to see everyone coming together now is really incredible. And I, and I do hope that it's a silver lining that carries into the future as well. But yeah, that's, that's, I uh, appreciate uh, everyone being here and, you know, having the opportunity to talk about this. Yeah. And I know, you know, everyone knows the, uh, you know, the venues and promoters have, have definitely had this the, the hardest with closing down. And some of the things that have started to come up since is, you know, what's happened to the industry, the community around the venues. Um, and that's where some of us come into play. Um, you know, Lawrence and Greg, we can start with Lawrence at, at Light um, or LP at Light. What are, you know, how did that moment go for, for you guys and sort of the, 
you know, ticket sales are now grinding to a halt. There are no more sold out events. Um, what were some of the changes that, that you guys made there? Yeah, it's actually very interesting because our experience has been a little bit counter to what has been happening um, or at least being talked about most in the rest of the world. So um, I'll, I'll take a step back to, to sort of set the table on that answer. You know, we were, we were lucky in that there were a few things in our DNA or at least in our operating model that kind of prepared us for this. And the, the first is that we sort of counted as a core value um, that we screened candidates for um, was sort of um, people who can thrive in ambiguity and who sort of embrace ambiguity. And, um, you know, it's sort of not uncommon, I think, in, in a lot of startup scenarios. But we very intentionally looked for people who, um, who did, not need, um, did not need pat answers, did not need set roadmaps, who were okay with missing variables in their, in their workday. And um, having a community, uh, an organization built around that at scale has been um, a big advantage for us in the COVID times. Um, the other thing that, that really benefited us going into this was literally the last time the senior executive team was together um, in late February, early March, all of us in the same place, was at a two-day offsite where, um, and you, you know, when you hear those words, sometimes people roll their eyes, um, but it was, we spent two days talking about and doing exercises in and trying to embody um, the notion of vulnerability um, with ourselves and with each other and with our business partners. Um, empathy, um, things of that nature that really opened us up. And, and, and we ended the sessions by having sort of an emergency executive team meeting where we talked about, well, what are we going to do if this COVID thing's real? <laughs> and so we all went back to our, our sort of four corners um, and, uh, and sort of in this sort of very open mindset. And, and, and it's allowed us to communicate as a team um, and with our, our, our teammates and our employee base in a much different way than I think we would have before um, COVID and, um, and with our partners as well. And the third thing is that our platform was already on a path towards um, expanding in a lot of different ways. So, you know, if you knew Light at all, you probably knew us as a secondary ticket exchanges. So official private label sec secondary exchanges. So you could be an artist or a venue or a festival and you could allow fans to come back to your official website, return their tickets, and allow other fans to get on a wait list and buy those tickets. So it was a, a way to, to capture share from the secondary market for the event owner, but also a way to make that sort of secondary ticketing safe and, and, and less susceptible to price gouging um, than the alternatives that were out there. But we had already been moving to this model where we were helping event owners aggregate demand before they went on sale and for a longer period of time. So starting late last year, with Coachella, Bottle Rock, some other festivals, we were up and running um, aggregating credit card reservations before they even did lineup drops or date, things of that nature. Fans could just get in line and put a credit card down. Um, fully returnable ticket, they could cancel their reservation. But again, these things, you could see how they would come into play. Now we enter this era where, um, like you said, Juan, sort of the world ground to a halt. The first thing we noticed is that people were still swiping their credit cards on the wait list for events that were really in limbo. Some had been postponed, some weren't yet. You know, some promoters weren't able to release any information yet. Everybody was scrambling. 
But every day we would come in and people were swiping their credit cards to buy tickets. And it was a big aha moment for us. And it's something that has not died down throughout the pandemic, which is there's a lot of consumer demand out there. Um, people want to go to shows. Um, and the other thing is people want to want to go to shows. It's something they can look forward to. And what we've come to observe and what we've now built products around, and, and we could talk about it more if you want to come back to me. I don't want to turn this into the, the light shill. Um, but we've built product around this idea of ambiguity. So um, people can get on a wait list for Electric Forest for next year, and they are in droves. And Electric Forest has not announced a date, a lineup, or a location yet. Um, but people are getting on in incredible um, volume for that. Um, Coachella, people are still signing up. Um, and it's not just those large tentpole festivals. Um, it's shows of all sizes and festivals of all sizes. Um, I think the operating principle there is not only one of like, this is a chance to express optimism, where you don't really get to express that in a lot of ways yeah. these days. Um, it's also um, it's also a way to say, you know, if if you were if I wanted to go see your band or if I wanted to come into your venue or go to your festival in May, chances are I want to go when the world comes back. Like I trust that you've got a cool vibe, you've got great drink prices, you've got a cool bartender. I love your band. I love your festival. Nothing's changing except I just don't know when it's going to happen. So. We want our platform to make it safe and easy for you as a fan to keep a place in line. We want there to be more risk in doing nothing than there is in putting your credit card down. And we do that by making everything returnable, making tickets easily transferable. Um, you can cancel a reservation, all these different tools that give fans choice. So choice is sort of yeah. our, meta, our meta model right now. Um, the last piece I would say is um, when it came to the issue of refunds, that was something we, we quickly had to jump on. And, you know, coming out of those sessions I told you about, we, 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 the way we would speak to our partners is we would say to them, what are you most afraid of? That's the thing we want to work on. And, you know, a lot of promoters and event owners said to us, we're afraid of the stampede that's about to hit us of people who want their money back. So we said, well, then let's give people other choices and see what happens. Um, because what, you know, I think what happened was that first month or so when the large promoting companies weren't really able to open the doors on refunds, there was all this, I don't know if, you know, it seems so long ago now, there was all this consumer backlash yeah. in the press. And what we learned was fans didn't want their money back necessarily. They just didn't want to be told they couldn't have their money back. And that's a big difference. And once we started giving them other choices like credit or merch vouchers or the ability to hold their ticket till next year or to trade it for another event, they just wanted to know they could have their money back, but they're going to do something else. And that's dramatically depressed refund rates and kept money in the ecosystem for our event partners. Um, and that's something that, that's been super important. That's probably commercially as important as our sort of, um, like with PRISM, our founding sort of member status with Neva. Um, those two things together, um, you know, there's the, there's the idea of let's support the whole industry by helping them yeah. achieve their, their needs to stay alive. And let's support the industry by giving them viable commercial opportunities. So um, that's that's sort of what life's been up to. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm gonna come back to that a little bit. Um, and you know, I know Mallory had mentioned that. Uh, well, both Mallory and Megan had mentioned jumping into live streams a little bit um, when we talked prior to this. And so, Greg, curious. Um, I think your move to to Veeps happened not too long ago, but 
curious to to hear how that's been and you know you got there and now live streaming is the only thing that's even possible in the states or the world yeah, i guess I mean, <laughs> uh my, yeah my my journey start i started the you know the lockdown at eventbrite i was probably there for three or four weeks um after oh, okay so yeah. i was still at eventbrite up until um the layoff you know when we laid off a, a good swath of folks yeah. um doing a lot of strategy work and trying to help figure out like which way's up um most like everybody here and then you know after 10 years of running my own businesses and you know two acquisitions i found myself unemployed and kind of like a little bit of a panic moment of like well what's you know the world's on fire i don't really know what's going to happen um and benji and joel had reached out and they'd, they'd had veeps for about three and a half years and they went through a similar moment where their business, their core business was artist services. You know, they were doing um, VIP ticketing and, and tools for artists on tour. A lot of the rooms probably dealt with, or maybe didn't even know they dealt with them. Um, and then they found immediately overnight, all the tours canceled and, you know, an existential threat on the business. Um, the nice part about, you know, one of those things that like, you know, like that me and Matt had talked about back in Aspen in December was, those fundamental decisions you make about your architecture and your business, they will bear fruit or, or not bear fruit later. And Veeps was in a position to sort of augment really quickly. So they were up with their first stream with an artist named Lizzie um, in the end of April or end of March, sorry, before even April started. So the first stream was in March and, uh, and it's kind of off to the races from there. They were able to kind of slot this in, use the existing product, which is effectively a ticketing software and change the delivery mechanism. Um, I joined the team in, in mid-April. And since then, I think, you know, talking about like workflows and things like that, you know, we've had to sort of rely on a ton of technology. We went from a team of nine to 25 um, during wow. all of this. And we've been fortunate enough to be able to bring folks in to the team from different parts of the industry that, you know, have found themselves looking for work. Um, as a company who, who's got a little bit of growth, that's an amazing opportunity because there's, you know, some unbelievable folks out there um, that, that need you know, need something to do. Uh, on the flip side, you know, we've been able to work to date with several hundred artists. I think we've done close to 500 shows, um, about a you know, quarter of a million tickets and millions and millions of dollars generated to artists. And I think during this time, that's super awesome. But given my background, there's an anxiety of wanting to work with venues more um, and trying to say like, you know, this is working really well for artists. And it kind of came in these waves where, you know, smaller artists who really, really were in a tough spot immediately were like, we have no option. We're going to try this thing out. And they were pleasantly surprised to find out like, oh shit, we made real money. Like that was kind of crazy. We're yeah. going to pay rent. Um, and then it sort of worked upstream a little bit to where as, you know, people have come to grips with um, how long this may or may not last, it, you know, bigger artists are, are getting more involved. And I think when, Mark, you know, famously, Mark Geiger famously said what he said on Lepsa's podcast, kind of a dam broke. And uh, a lot of folks were inst instantly like, okay, we got to figure out the streaming thing. Um, so since then, we've added, you know, six venues in varying relationships with those rooms. And the core mission for us right now is trying to um, talk to as many folks as possible, help as many folks figure out how to do this, whether they use our platform or not. We're kind of indifferent to that piece in terms of like saying, hey, this is a viable revenue opportunity um, and we're willing to get on the phone with literally anybody and share all the dirty secrets about how this does and doesn't work um, walk them through you know what we've learned 
how to maybe think about or predict um, draw. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can help them with it. If we're not a right fit, that's, that's fine too. Like, it, you know, it doesn't always work. But what we, what we see is this is a lever right now folks can pull. And within, yeah. you know, seven to 10 days of announced on to show, they've actually got money in their bank account. And, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, there's differing opinions about longevity. I, I think this probably becomes a line item within not only an artist budget, but a venue budget and probably even a festival budget going forward. Um, it certainly is a lever right now. And so we can all debate, you know, in 18 yeah. months or something like <laughs> what its viability is in the future. But right now it's, it's viable. You know, we're seeing artists do six figures, you know, and, and generate as much revenue on one, two or three streams as they would have done on an entire national tour. Um, and they're using that money to pay for their crew. Um, they're using that yeah. money for their rent. They're like, it's literally like, you know, keeping people afloat. Um, so the hope is that we can kind of help more venues, like, you know, at this point, get involved and figure it out and, um, and, and hopefully even partner some of the artists we're working with with rooms. Because as, as it expands and it gets bigger, it becomes more of a question of geography. Uh, you know, the, the early adopters kind of can figure this stuff out on their own. They've got cameras and they, they can kind of figure it out. As we get deeper in, you, you're going to land on artists who want to do it but don't know how. And then it becomes about partnering locations, you know, and they could be empty rooms or rooms that can have limited capacity and saying, Hey, we've got artist a, they typically do X amount. We can tell you what we think they will do. Let's put you two together and let's pull off a show together. And we think that's kind of where this is headed. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to come back to, to the question of longevity too. Uh, if we have time at the end, cause I think that that's one of interest. I'm curious, um, Mallory, and Megan, so Mallory, from the, the venue standpoint, I mean, uh, what did you guys, how was the pivot? You know, you, you did live streams, you're sort of limited being in downtown Austin as far as, uh, I don't even think you guys have a parking lot. I, I've, I've never parked, but I've gone to Antones. Uh, but yeah, what was the, the pivot like? Like, what did you guys do, have done? Um, and, you know, I think you can maybe tell us a little bit about how you're using the space creatively to, to try and stay busy. Yeah, I mean, for the longest time, we had nothing going on. Um, I don't think that we really had anyone inside the venue besides like me and a few of our management staff um, until late June, early July. Um, our 45th anniversary was actually this year in July, which was really something yeah. we we're all looking forward to. It's always like a big month long thing where we have like all the key players who've ever played Antones who are still living. We have them come and um, it's just like kind of our own little big festival, mini festival, if you will. Um, and so instead of doing something like that, we had um, DJ Chenier come in. His dad was one of the first artists to ever play the Antone stage in 1975. Um, so he came in and we did a, um, a recording of him and streamed that for our anniversary um, celebration. Um, we've done a couple of things with um, like uh, television and film, um, a commercial for Facebook. They came and shot for like, you know, just a couple scenes. Um, and then like Black Pumas came and shot something for, oh, I can't remember exactly what it was. We did something for the Detours event that was a few weeks ago um, with our, you know, our faves, Eve and Buck and, um, Sue and Mike and all those guys. And 
So yeah, we've done a few things here and there. And like when we spoke the other day, um, you know, it feels like nothing to me because we were operating seven days a week, multiple shows, multiple events. Um, so it's like, well, we've done a couple things, but yeah, like looking at it from a, an outer perspective, like, you know, it's, it's, it's been more than what a lot of people can say. And that's been uh, reassuring to know that we have people still wanting to kind of get into the space. And then as far as creatively, um, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been allowing one of my friends to host like a really small distance dance class on Saturdays, which has been pretty fun, like a dance fit thing. So it keeps me, uh, you know, honest, if you will, of like making sure that I have like some sense of routine of like, okay, like every yeah. week one thing in this building and that is like enough to kind of just like maintain um and float but um but yeah so that's kind of how we've shifted things and and that'll kind of be the the mo until we feel that the world is ready to to see live music again in an enclosed yeah. space with no park yeah <laughs> Yeah, what uh, what kind of tech or, or what has the team relied on to try and, you know, stay in touch? I'm sure all of us are, are Zoom experts at this point, uh, even though there's always some sort of audio issue. But, um, you know, I was I was chatting with Evan on our team about needing to think about maybe I should get a green screen. So this virtual thing is a little bit better. But um, how has it been for you guys, like with the space all in Austin? Are you meeting at the venue? Is it you know, trying to use new tech you haven't used before to, to stay in touch or get things done? I, you know, we tried Zoom and for like the first couple months and we, you know, we did like some weekly, monthly meetings and things like that with different team members. And um, as we realized that we were really going to be in this much longer than was the initial anticipation, we started to kind of just trail off from that because it felt like there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. It was just like a lot of like speculation and like shooting the shit. And it just didn't feel like like yeah. the people's extended time, if you will. Um, but really, I think that it's changed some of the communication as far as um, like, you know, just like, Hey, I'm not having a great day being a little bit vulnerable. What's going on? Do you have any news to share? Like, you know, what have you been up to? And just kind of more of that type of communication. Um, Definitely just a lot more phone calls, um, little text messages here and there. Um, whereas, you know, we used to just keep it really business because we didn't really have a whole lot of opportunity for other things um, moving so quickly as we were. Um, but yeah, I mean, FaceTime, text, email, phone calls, the huge, um, and then I think less Zoom more than anything because it kind of felt like intrusive for us like we're a pretty close-knit team and it's like we we saw a lot of each other as it was um and yeah i think that's that's kind of the, the gist yeah what about for for you megan you guys are uh, i know you're in st louis but then you've got team members all over what is that that's how you guys relied yeah. on what have you relied on well, obviously, Zoom, um, especially now that we can't do, you know, live shows and we're canceling festivals and we don't see the people that we normally see, you know, every couple of months at a festival or a show, you know, it really gives you that personal, personal contact with someone, you know, being able to see their face, the reaction on their face. Um, so that's definitely helped our team a lot. We're, we're kind of used to being spread out in general. Um, you know, it's a lot of phone calls, but a lot of those conversations have changed because, you know, they're checking up on me in St. Louis or someone else in Charlotte and Amin was in New York. So 
it's different in his city than it was for me. And, you know, it was different for all of us in every, in every aspect with COVID. Um, but I mean, we're still doing drive-ins. So we've moved from doing club shows into doing drive-in shows. So we're still using Prism and we're still functioning as that team. And um, it, it's honestly helped us more. Prism has honestly helped us more now because we have bigger budgets and they're not just a club show and a lot more, uh, language and everything goes into an offer because it is a drive-in um, than it did before. So uh, Prism is still, you know, a godsend for us, in, in my opinion. Nice. Wow. All right. I'm going to send Megan a basket after this. Uh, but no, <laughs> I mean, I'm curious because <laughs> I know, uh, you know the sort of the, the music and, and the genre uh, for you guys is probably has a different feel for a drive-in than it would for a club show. So how, I mean, how has that been for the team or the people that would normally go to a Disco Donny show? What's the reception been I like? I mean, uh, personally, personally, I feel that the kids want to go to a show. They need something. They need some type of interaction. You know, you may not be in a club show in a club setting to where, you know, you talk to 20, 10, 12 people at a time or, you know, meet that random person. But at the same time, people need to have some interaction, whether it's the five people in your car and to be at a show and have production, have lights, um, rather than just like going to a bar that's, you know, at 50% capacity, it's not the same. And people really need that connection that they have with this industry and with this genre um, that you're not going to find. So you know, people are depressed sitting at home. So, you know, these drive-ins are really helping a lot of people, in my opinion. Yeah. How big are uh, drive-ins are you doing? I know we have a client in Cheyenne who sort of started doing even drive-in rodeos um, and they've, they've upped their capacity to 250 cars or something like that. What are, your, what are you guys doing? Yeah. So I think our biggest, our biggest drive-in car-wise is like 350, 400 cars. And then you have, you have to have at least two people per car and then you can have up to four. Um, so your capacity is obviously going to change there, but I mean, 400 cars is a pretty decent number. And then we're doing FM streaming. So then you would stream the actual music through your vehicle and you'd be able to listen uh, through your car. And I'm assuming that those probably don't have any live stream incorporated or, or anything like that right now. Right. Uh, currently, no. We were we did start live streams around probably like mid April. Um, we did a few, but this is working for us way better. Um, and we're getting more and more venues that are actually interested in doing drive-ins. Um, so we're not doing any live streams currently, no. Okay. Um, thanks, Megan. Appreciate that. And then uh, Mallory, I wanna there, we have a question from uh, from Bill that popped up that I'm actually uh, kind of curious to, to get your answer on too, but it's about how Antones is keeping the, the brand alive. Um, obviously 45 years, uh, historic venue. Uh, maybe you can sort of give us some insight into what Antones has done to do that. Yeah, um, I mean, like you said, we've been, we've been around for 45 years. We have quite a lot of history behind us to kind of keep us uh, relevant in general as far as music fans go, um, especially in Austin and worldwide. I mean, we are considered um, Austin's home of the blues, um, which is very mm-hmm. important to us. And um, people come from all over the world literally to 
just watch local blues artists play. And of course, you know, much bigger artists as well, but that's our bread and butter. Um, in the beginning of things, what we did was we started um, going back through all of our archives of shows that we had recorded um, and uh, putting on what we called Antone's radio. Um, and so we had all of these recorded shows um, live and then we put them on YouTube and Facebook so that folks could, you know, either reminisce about, oh my gosh, remember that show? It was so amazing. Like we, you know, we had so much fun at CJ's show or, you know, we saw, um, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on all of the ones that we've done, but like Bill Carter or um, Red Young, who are just sort of like our favorites, um, the folks that really define us. Um, so that was one way that we uh, use technology to keep our fans engaged. And um, as far as moving forward, you know, we have a couple things in the works. Uh, I don't want to give too much information, but... Um, nothing to announce. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to announce yet. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, could be tomorrow, could be six months from now, who knows. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we are, we are very, very lucky that we have um, such a long... Uh, timeline of engagement with our community um, and especially with the music community that that is something where like folks are just constantly asking like when is Antone's going to open how are you guys doing do you guys need help um, there's like such an outpour from the city and from our community that's been really uplifting um, but definitely like our marketing side of things they I think have done a really good job at just you know keeping not inundating our fans, not inundating our audience um, with just irrelevant stuff, but just keeping things relevant. Like, hey, guess what? It was Muddy Waters' birthday a few months ago. And here's this, you know, here's all these cool images from, you know, back in the 70s and 80s when he played the club, uh, you know, on his birthday and, you know, Clifford being there and the whole family. And yeah, just reminding folks of, okay, like, this is where we've come from. We have no intention of going anywhere. And like, that's just kind of what we're rolling with and moving with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to getting back into Antones. So, you know, I know that, that all of us in Austin are sort of, you know, looking to see what announces and what comes of it. Um, there hasn't been a show that, that was on Antones radio that I went to yet, but I'm waiting cause there will be one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I sort of, you know, with Greg and, and LP from, from the beefs and lights standpoint, um, I mean, what do you guys, you know, I know, LPL sort of mentioned this, you guys did do the, the GoFundMe page for, for music venues where um, if anyone who has a venue or has a GoFundMe page hasn't done this yet, um, you know, Light did a great job of listing all of them on there to, to help the teams. Um, you know, I know my wife and I were, were looking at that list and looking at sort of going out to a show every other Wednesday and we would pick one and donate some money to and, and sort of that was our night out in. Um, so if anyone listening hasn't added their GoFundMe there, they, they should get that up. But uh, curious to hear sort of from your standpoint in the, the immediacy of live streaming, how does light play into that? And then Greg, curious to get your thoughts on, you know, live streaming today and how people could get involved. That's a great question. I think live streaming, um, you know, I think, I feel like on this call in particular, I have the benefit of being a bit older than a lot of the folks. And I, you know, so I, I've seen I've seen live streaming and, and and webcasting go through a lot of permutations over the years, but it seems like it never found its killer app, right? It was like maybe it was a promotional tool, maybe it was uh, 
sponsor inventory for a festival or something an artist might do at a, you know, to kick off a tour or what have you. Um, but it was never like a scalable, repeatable model, uh, at least not that, that I perceive. Um, and so COVID's definitely like mainstreamed the product finally. And, um, and, I, and I, I, think what is, I think Greg was alluding to, or he may have said it explicitly, I, I don't see it going away. Um, especially when you talk to artists who have, who have been doing it with any regularity, um, I think it's going to evolve into its own creative medium. You know, um, and, and I think it's the same thing, you know, radio didn't go away because of streaming and uh, movies didn't go away because of television or whatever it is. Like media doesn't really supplant other media. It just becomes another channel point. and another vehicle, um, especially when it has a different creative application. And, you know, you look at what the guys from Under Oath did or some of the venues are doing by, you know, bringing in full production. The, the service is barely being scratched um, in terms of some of the creative um, implications. And, you know, platforms like Veeps that allow fans to interact with each other or allow talent to interact with fans and maybe the people that go into making a production can finally sort of become personalities and talk to the, the viewers. There's all kinds of cool stuff that can be done. So I think it's additive, it's additive creatively, it's additive to the business. For light, for us, it's, um, you know, it's another, it's another, for, it's another form of ticketing basically. So we can work with that in that there might be a model where somebody wants to create scarcity and have a limited, uh, a limited stream. You know, I know there's been a lot of stuff done around the VIP world where an artist might do a show, but let, you know, a couple of dozen or a few tens of people into a VIP thing. Um, that's a great application for light to help control the secondary around that or the transferability or to allow returns. Um, but even outside of that, you know, our demand aggregation tools, if you're going to have a, um, if you're going to have an open to the world webcast, um, you can use light sort of as part of the, the campaign. So you could let people sign up in advance. You could create more heat around it, basically, instead of just dropping it on sale. Yeah. Um, you can, you can play with how people queue. You could pay, play with what order in which you choose to fulfill them. You know, when you're, when you're aggregating all that demand in advance, what a lot of our, our physical world clients do is they, you know, they see what people are making reservations for and then make some decisions about how to fulfill. So we have some clients that say, we're going to let in, um, we're going to give priority to loyal customers. Um, so they might give us their manifest for the last few years and say, hey, if they've been here, you know, all three of the last three years, let them in first. Two out of the three go next, you know, et cetera, oh, et cetera. Yeah. Others might say, we want to fulfill in the order of the highest shopping cart. So you could see in a live stream, it might be, oh, they bought the streaming ticket, but they also bought the VIP or they bought the T-shirt or they bought the limited edition vinyl. Let's make sure they get in first. So in so much as our tools can sort of augment other, uh, augment other other commerce platforms. I, I don't think streaming, um, you know, it, we, it wouldn't, it wouldn't um, preclude the use of light. Um, it's just not yeah. our, it's not our, it's not our, um, it's not our main business. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. What about uh, Greg? I mean, obviously that's the wheelhouse of, of the, is our main business, probably the biggest growing technology. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, and somebody asked in the chat, so I kind of gave it away a little bit to, to Nate here in the chat. But um, yeah, I, I think that we, we see this as an extension of direct-to-fan, you know, which is what VIP technically was. Uh, some of the core, you know, beliefs that we have is that this should be a four-charge um, service. So we ticket, we don't do any free shows, everything on the platform's ticketed. We think that's a 
massive um, differentiator from doing stuff on say YouTube or, and we, we certainly believe that YouTube and Instagram live and all those sort of things have their place. They're kind of broadcast um, formats, but the dynamic of what happens in these shows is the super fans. It's the top 5% of fans globally joining the show at the same time. The chat is a different level of excitement and vibe. And frankly, people, like, I, I think to the earlier point that, that Megan was saying, people really, really, really want something. Um, they want something new, fresh, happening in real time. We're seeing people schedule their lives around some of these shows. So a, a great example is Brandi Carlisle has done two programs with us. One is just for her fan club. She does those every like couple weeks. It's capped, it's private. Same number of people come every two weeks and do the show. And then she's doing her entire album catalog in its entirety um, at alternating weeks and things like that. And people are planning their dinners around it. They're, they're you know, inviting wow. their quarantine together yeah. and they're, they're watching the show together. They're exposing the music to um, friends and family. And then we're seeing venues, you know, like say with the whiskey, there's a promoter who's bringing in artists and doing a series at the whiskey. So it's a new artist within that, that, uh, that stage every couple of weeks. So I think in the long term, it's, it's really, it hasn't been viewed as a viable income source because I think institutional players haven't been able to monetize it. And yeah. what we see right now is that institutional players are, you know, for better, you know, for worse, actually, we'll say that across the board for worse institutional players are not participating or haven't figured out how to participate. And so out of necessity, we've realized, Oh no, there is a, a viable business here. Now it'll be figuring out how does it tie in. And I think that, you know, one of the earlier chat messages was um, we get asked a lot about geofencing, for instance, you know, like, can you, can we do a tour? Can we do 21 shows? And it literally robs the economies of scale element of this out of the idea, which is you can do one show and basically have a cruise ship type uh, vibe going on where people from all over the world tune in and the same way that they would all fly to Miami and get on a boat with Weezer, they can all get in the chat together and watch the show together and be super stoked with each other. Um, what you could use geofencing for is when we get back to business, you could block out Chicago, right? Like the audio tree folks and, and uh, Lincoln Hall could block out their venue, but somebody in London can watch that show and somebody in London yeah. will want to watch that show. So we think that that might be a version of this as we go forward, which is you block out your host market and then you allow people to watch it from all over the world because the reality is, you know, an artist can only get to a market every 36-ish months if they're super aggressive. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think that you, you're cannibalizing somebody's appetite by showing them a picture of a pizza 36 months before they can actually eat a slice of pizza. So <laughs> yeah. I think that Plus that's sort of the difference special about What's the that? rooms too. There's something special about being in the room, even if you're watching a recorded radio, uh, you know, an old show or something that, that I think, you know, I know I've tuned into some Margin Walker live stream shows during South by in prior years, and I would go to a show the next day and still be there. So I, I think it'll be around to, to some It's capacity. an element of the last thing, and I know we're probably getting close to time, but there's an element of this that allows for a different level of interaction. So like the Pete Yorn yeah. shows that we're doing, Pete is telling stories about songs. He's telling the story of how he got signed. He's telling the story of his career. I think a same version of that come, could happen with the venues. I mean, I think yeah. that the venues could bring people who have a special connection into the room, do the first record and tell the story about that first show. 
I mean, I posted a little picture on Facebook about a room that no longer exists in Berkeley, um, just out of reminiscing. And a guy who used to work at the club hit up, hit me up and we sat and just chatted. I've never, we've never really talked before. We just chatted about all these great shows like Green Day and all these shows we saw in the 90s in this room that's gone. There's a version of like that for every band, for every fan, for every single one of these stages. Um, somebody stepped on a stage the first time and, and all these rooms within Neva were somebody's first stage. And I think that that's what we've learned through the, the artist and the fan connection is that exists with the, the artists and the clubs and that exists with the fans and the clubs. And so yeah. hopefully my hope is over the next few months, we find a way to capitalize on and get more people working and generating more shows through, through that network. Awesome. Yeah. And then Matt, I mean, the, the network has sort of been tightening up across the, the industry and you've been having conversations, not just with venues and promoters, but maybe you can share a little bit about uh, the, the network and what's coming since COVID. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that and I'll be brief because we're not, we haven't officially announced it yet, but real quick on the live stream, I guess, Greg, just kind of a rhetorical point. Uh, I was talking to Chris Cobb and he was saying that he's educated his fans around like, you know, don't open your laptop and throw it on the desk and have like speakers, come, the sound coming off of your computer. Like this is meant to be hooked up to your, you know, 42 inch or whatever and a, have a real sound system and, I think, I think educating people on a good live stream experience is really critical and um, a big part of it, uh, actually pulling people in. But, you know, yeah, back to what Juan was mentioning, um, we, we have, like, been able to use the unique moment where uh, this moment in time where everyone's not burdened by an endless, you know, a, amount of shows that are happening and they have more time to think and contemplate. And we've been talking to a lot of our venues and promoters and agents about, you know, if there was a blank slate, which we kind of have right now, what's the most, what's the simplest thing that is ridiculous that we could streamline? And uh, I've, I've known this before we started working on it, but, you know, for the, for, the, for the last 10 years, people have been talking about ways just to schedule shows easier. Everyone's, you know, slamming away at their keyboard about putting, putting dates on holds. And, you know, sometimes agents are going direct to the venue. Sometimes prom promoters are going direct to the venue and, um, I kind of alluded to it. We've already released a small version of this with, with Antones and a handful of other venues and promoters in town like C3 and Mohawk. Um, but what we're working on is, is a way to streamline this like archaic process, I'll call it, where we're all you know, sending the same emails over and over again just to coordinate holds and scheduling and turning it into a system that once again, hopefully saves everyone a lot of time and lets them get back to... Uh, you know, doing the other things that matter, like being a curator for the community or finding the next really great artist that they want to like, you know, help. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to be rolling that out. And yeah, once again, we did release a small, ver like a beta version of this tool, but the end goal will be to streamline the, ske the tedious scheduling process between venues, promoters, and agents in the spirit of giving everyone a hell of a lot of time uh, back. And good to awesome. see you too, Fabiano. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, Lawrence, Greg, and, and Mallory and Megan, if we have a couple of minutes. Uh, I don't know if anyone has a, a question from the, the attendee pool. Um, Evan can, and Rosie can let me know if we missed one also, but um, we can sort of see if, if anyone has one before we wrap up. Uh, I do appreciate you guys taking the time. I almost I wish there was more time to, to sit and chat through. I'm super curious about um, what Antones and Skodani's is working on. I saw the, what was it, the don't dance on our parking lot 
shows. No are, parking on the dance floor. No parking <laughs> on the dance floor. That's what it was. Uh, that are coming up. So, um, and then curious, you know, to learn more. Um, if you guys are interested, you know, visit light.com. I, they've got, they just had a recent article about the Jacob Collier tour, which is um, something pretty interesting, I think. Um, and then Veeps is obviously, you know, growing quite a bit and, and really working with more and more venues um, for live streaming and then Prism FM for, for calendar, for settlements offers. Um, but I uh, just want to thank you guys for, for joining the conversation. We will send this out to, to anyone if they wanted to watch it again. Um, and then, yeah, if you guys after this have questions for the panelists that maybe you didn't get to, um, you can email us and we'll get them to Mallory or Megan, uh, Lawrence or Greg. Um, and then, you know, again, don't, don't forget to visit uh, nevasaveourstages.com. Uh, whether you're in the industry or not, you can write to your local representatives. Um, you can easily get involved in, in helping volunteering if you are in the industry. Um, and then also, if you're a talent buyer or promoter, you've got um, IPA, indiepromoter.org, that is really trying to help you a resource for, for talent buyers. Um, well, yeah, I don't see any questions popping in, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you, guys. Really appreciate thank this. You. Um, yeah, for the opportunity. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, yeah definitely. Great thank you. Thank you, Mallory Farrow, Megan Lazaroff, and Greg Patterson. A special thank you to Juan Torres, Matt Ford, and their team at PRISM. Thanks to Ant Taylor and the entire team at Light. If you're interested in what we're up to at Light, visit us at lyte.com. And thank you for listening to Spotlight On. We're available from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you like to get your podcasts from. While you're grabbing our podcast, please also leave a rating and review. It's so important to our ongoing success. And please, keep your feedback coming. Reach me directly at lp at light.com. Thank you, be safe, and stay in touch.